when arguably the greatest head coach in NFL history is coming to what looks like the end of his tenure with the team that he helped win six Super Bowls, I think it deserves to have a little more time spent on it. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I am Dave Hellman. And if you are listening to this, congratulations. We have made it to the postseason. A wild 2023 regular season coming to a close this weekend. And look, you can close out of the playoff simulator websites. You can forget all the wonky percentages and the what if scenarios. The postseason field is set. Welcome into the show. If you don't already, please go find us on Spotify. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. We have a YouTube channel. Please go subscribe to that. Wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you get your NFL news, we are there for you. We will take you through the rest of January up until Super Bowl 58. Plenty of playoff action to get to between then, and we will be here with you for all of it. For that matter, full disclosure, this, this is going to be a busy week. If you haven't already heard, coaching news already flying. Falcons head coach Arthur Smith finding out late Sunday night that he is, he is out in Atlanta after the Falcons 7-10 and 10 finish to the season. I'm positive more is on the way. Can't get to all of it in the Monday show. There's only so much news we can fit in. We will have all of the coaching roundups for you starting tomorrow on Tuesday. We'll react to any and all hirings, firings, changes on the coaching front. So much to get to with that. But how about the actual games first? A wild weekend led to the playoff field, and it ended in the AFC. A a weird game for Josh Allen and the Bills, but they steal the AFC East from the Miami Dolphins. We'll get to that. We'll get to everything in the AFC. But we're going to start with a fun finish on Sunday afternoon in the NFC, which led to what I think is one of the best wild card slates that we've had in a long, long time. The last action of the weekend did happen in the AFC, but I actually want to start our Sunday six for week 18 in the NFC, where three different results came down to the wire in the afternoon window and shaped what looks to be one of the best wild card weekends I can remember. I mean, talk about a football fan's dream. I think these NFC matchups for this season they look about as good on paper as possible. And it all kind of hinges around not what you would call a thrilling result in Washington, but a very convincing one. The Dallas Cowboys come from behind over the last few weeks of the season and they win the NFC East with a dominant 38 to 10 win against the Washington commanders. Kind of scary for the first hour or so. And then the Cowboys easily pull away. Dak Prescott bombs for bombs away for four touchdowns on the day. 36 for the season. C.D. Lamb becomes the first Cowboys receiver to go over 1,700 yards on the year. Cowboys finish the season 5-1 and one against the NFC East. They outscore their division rivals by a combined total of 228 to 78, an average score of 38 to 13 in division play. Remember that one loss to Philadelphia up at the link coming by just the width of a fingernail incredibly dominant outing from the Cowboys. They are now the two seed in the NFC. 
as it turns out, didn't even necessarily need the win to secure the division. Philadelphia Eagles go on the road to New York, and the ongoing collapse continues. Just an embarrassing loss to the New York Giants. But the win, coupled with that, it does boost the Cowboys up to the number two overall seed. They could have been three with a loss. They take care of business. They are now positioned as well in the NFC playoffs as they have been since Dak Prescott's rookie year. They were the one seed back in 2016, but even with a two seed, if they can handle business at home, they get to stay there for one, maybe even two weeks. Shoot. They could play the whole thing at AT AT&T stadium, depending on how this goes. So I'm joined now by the guys who had the call in Washington, Greg Olson, Kevin Burkhart to talk about where things might go in the playoffs for the Dallas Cowboys. All right, guys. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not sure the Cowboys needed a confidence boost, but they certainly get one, right? I mean, the road is is where they've struggled this season. They get the win, they win the division, and, and they do it in some style, too. I mean, can this be a confidence boost heading into the playoffs? I, yeah, I, I don't know if if confidence is 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 right, but they need to play better, I think. Don't you? I mean, the last three games, Greg, they, they had some things that popped up. Offense wasn't as good. Defense was letting some things up. So I think just playing better going into the playoffs means something. Yeah, and they had a very specific kind of checklist of things that they wanted to get accomplished yeah. today. Offensively, they wanted to protect the ball. There was the deflected pass that was intercepted. We can kind of chalk that up to a bad luck, but... Dak Prescott played out of his mind. Highly efficient, four touchdown passes. They wanted to protect the passer, no sacks allowed. So offensively, I think they accomplished what they wanted. The run game was a little bit better, a little bit more efficient with Tony Pollard. On defense, really the only remaining question mark that they have on defense is closing out tight games. And obviously that wasn't the case today. So at some point in the playoffs, their defense is going to be on the field with a lead late in the game. And that's really the last puzzle piece for what's been one of the most well-rounded and well-balanced teams in the entire league. Sure. So I'll put y'all on the spot. They get the home game, at least one. If they handle their business, they are at least guaranteed to be at home until potentially the NFC title game. We'll see what happens. But if they're clicking and we know how well they can play at home, what's the ceiling for these guys? Look, they're a different team at home. We've seen it. You know, sometimes you, you see the stats and it's like, ah, okay. But their stats are legit. Like, they are different at home. They're harder to beat at home. They're just they're a different animal. Um, but, you know, listen, it's the Cowboys in the playoffs, and there's a different kind of pressure. Absolutely. And, and I think the way this NFC playoff picture is shaking out, I think there are seven teams in there that all have a shot. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is as good and well-balanced top seven teams that we've had in the playoffs really in a long time. So I think those wild-card teams, they're – Typically, you host a home game and things are easy. I'll tell you what, there's a couple of these wildcard teams that I don't. I know you're not thrilled to see coming to your place. And uh, Dallas is going to have a tough road, but listen, they play like they did today. They play like they have all year at home next week and potentially beyond, and they're going to be one of the hardest outs in the playoffs. It's going to be a thrilling wildcard weekend. I can't wait to talk to you on it, guys. Appreciate it. I thought KB made the really excellent point that the expectations are different. The pressure is different for the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs. We know how long it's been. We know what's at stake for this team. Cowboy fans, at least a lot of them, get a little get a little antsy at this time of year as they wait to see how their team delivers on those expectations. I do appreciate the team not going to shy away from them. If you didn't see Dak Prescott, declining to wear a division championship hat in the post game after the win against Washington. And he didn't shy away from telling Aaron Andrews why. Well, Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb, all smiles clinched the division. 
and the number two seed. Where's the hat? Uh, I want something bigger than that. Ooh, I like it, Dak. Not afraid to be a little spicy. Not afraid to give a good quote. I just hope Dak Prescott and the Cowboys can back it up next weekend because I promise you the world will be watching thanks to what turned in to a hell of a pairing in the wild card round. Dallas Cowboys host the Green Bay Packers, head coach Mike McCarthy's former team, the team that named a street after him in Green Bay, Wisconsin for winning Super Bowl 45. And let's let's pause to consider the fun that led to this wild card pairing, which, which is as good as it gets. Because like I said, simultaneously on Sunday afternoon, you had two finishes that led to these results. In the central time zone, Jordan Love and the Packers, Beat the Bears at Lambeau to secure a wild card spot. Probably a more dominant win than the scoreline suggests, but whatever. 17-9, you'll take it as you can get it. Then, just as that's happening, Carson Wentz, yes, Carson Wentz, with some late-game heroics, ties up the 49ers with a touchdown run late in the game. And what the hell? Sean McVay says, we're already in the postseason. Let's play for the win. They get it, 21-20. And so now those two wins by Green Bay and L.A., set up this wild card pairing that TV executives could have only dreamt about when the season starts. Like I said, Sunday afternoon in the late afternoon window, Cowboys host the Green Bay Packers. The Mike McCarthy angle speaks for itself. Two of the biggest brands in football, nine combined Super Bowls between these two teams. It's Dak Prescott's next chance to rewrite his legacy in the playoffs. It's Jordan Love's first chance. I don't think I need to say a whole lot else. Then when that's over, if that's not good enough, thanks to the Rams win against San Francisco, Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions, the NFC North champs host Matthew Stafford and the LA Rams for a hell of a walk down memory lane. Almost two years to the day. I went and looked. It's January 8th. The trade happened on January 31st, 2021. Lions agreed to send Stafford their number one overall pick, 12-year franchise quarterback, the guy who was so good but couldn't quite drag the Lions over the hump, trade him to L.A. in exchange for Goff, two first-round picks, a third-round pick. Rams rode that trade to a Super Bowl with Stafford at the center of it in his first year. And while the joke may have been on the Lions at first, Goff has had a career rejuvenation. He's made a Pro Bowl in Detroit, having... An amazing stretch over these last two years. And the Lions turned those picks into the core of a roster that just tied the franchise record for wins. Rare example of a trade that I think worked out for everybody. Not going to lessen anybody's desire to win this one, as my guy Adam Amin and Mark Schlereth discussed after the game. Niners are going to be the number one seed. The Rams with a win today secured the number six seed. Now all of a sudden we get a chance to look ahead into, mm. you know, the NFL script hasn't missed a whole lot. And uh, I think the, the script writers are on point as you'll get a matchup between the Detroit Lions and the Los Angeles Rams. Jared Goff going to Detroit, now facing his old team that he reached the Super Bowl with but couldn't win. Gets to face his old head coach and then Matthew Stafford where he spent so much of his career, more than 10 years in Detroit, growing, trying to get that, you know, franchise back into the contention sure. and now 
He's just got to go through them in an upset opportunity to try to get further into the postseason. That's a homecoming for Matthew Stafford. And let's face it, this guy is on a Hall of Fame trajectory in his 15th season. He won the Super Bowl with the Rams. Now he gets to come home. And I'm sure those people in Detroit are just going to be so excited to see the guy that they basically homegrown. You know, the, yep. the guy that they, they nurtured and watched and, and cheered for all those years. And then... Obviously, Goff, who played here and started his career with the Los Angeles Rams, getting to face his former head coach, his former team. Just a really cool storyline. So you're right, the script writers 100% <laughs> got this thing uh, just nailed. With all due respect to everybody in the AFC, those two games are worth the price of admission alone for Wild Car Weekend. Like I keep saying, I just I can't remember a year when I was this hype for two games right off the bat. Typically, you get excited about what's coming in the divisional round and even the conference title games. It's going to be all systems go from the very jump starting Sunday, Packers-Cowboys followed by Rams-Lions. And if that wasn't good enough, don't sleep on the Monday nighter. Philadelphia Eagles limp into the postseason as a wild card now, and it's against the Tampa Bay Bucks. They will travel to Tampa Please don't make me relive much about the Buccaneers nine to nothing win against Carolina, but it was enough to deliver them the division for a third straight year. They will host the Eagles, which amazingly, the Eagles are still currently a favorite, according to Las Vegas, one and a half to two and a half points as a road favorite, depending on where you look. But man, this is just not the same Eagles team started the season 10 and one. They finished the season 11 and six. Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown both having injury scares in that loss to the Giants. The Eagles wind up pulling everybody from that game, which they eventually lose 27 to 10 because it's just not worth it after a certain point. I think that speaks to how bleak it's been in Philly over the last month of the season. It's funny. This is technically there's there's two reasons this is an interesting turnabout. First of all, Philly dominated the Buccaneers 25 to 11 all the way back in week three, just ran all over them. I remember thinking DeAndre Swift was going to set the NFL rushing record this year after watching him in Tampa. And on top of that, this was actually where Jalen Hurts began his NFL playoff career. Remember the Eagles snuck into the playoffs as a wild card in 2021. Jalen Hurts did not look like the guy in a playoff loss to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. They used that as a springboard to a huge 2022. We'll see if they can do it here this, this time around on a Monday night. I can't say I feel good about it, but again, I week after week, I keep waiting for this Eagles team to show up. I'm not sure if it's going to happen. Can't wait to see what happens there. Do the Buccaneers continue this momentum? Do the Philadelphia Eagles finally find a spark? Not a bad cap to the weekend. All right, that does it for a fun afternoon in the NFC. The evening belonged to the AFC, where the Buffalo Bills wrapped up the regular season with a road win at Miami, 21-14 over the Dolphins. Talked about it all week. The number two seed was up for grabs. The Bills did find out ahead of time that they would be in the playoffs regardless, but securing the number two overall seed, winning the AFC East for a fourth consecutive year, had to feel good. I'm joined now by my guy, Henry McKenna. He helped me preview the game. Of course, we're going to wrap it up with him as well. AFC East reporter for FoxSports.com. Henry, I'm going to start with the question I asked you during the game. 426 total yards, two touchdowns, three turnovers, some goofy game management. 
Was this the most Josh Allen game ever? Yeah, I mean, it it ranks. It was the worst Josh Allen game ever for like the first three quarters. And then for him to win, secure the number two seed um, and a very much favorable matchup compared to what they would have had if they didn't win. It it feels consummately Josh Allen. There was uh, the craziest part about what we saw from Josh Allen tonight was not that we saw crazy Josh Allen, not that we saw sensational Josh Allen, not that we saw boneheaded Josh Allen. It was that we saw game manager Josh Allen. In the fourth quarter, uh, after the Bills took the lead, he protected the heck out of that lead. We saw him, you know, sliding near the sideline. He did actually end up out of bounds on on one of the slides uh, missed by the officials, but was sort of otherwise spotless in a way of managing the game. Um quarterback sneaks again with the exception of that fourth and one that that they couldn't quite pick up um but josh allen did everything he could to play as smart and safe as he could for about 10 minutes and that was just enough for for buffalo to pull off the win which i mean we laugh but it is it's such an interesting juxtaposition i mean we know what josh allen can do when he's clicking we know the types of mistakes that he's capable of as well. Like, I mean, like we're saying, you kind of got it all from him in this game. But to your point, you now get a favorable home game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is a hell of a lot better than the alternative. Is it, am, am I asking too much for Josh Allen to rein it in a little bit in this game against the Steelers, the way he managed to do down the stretch of this game against the Dolphins? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably too much for you to ask. I don't think we we will see Josh Allen rein it in. I mean, they've been winning by letting him open it up a little bit. And we've talked a little bit about this, you know, week to week. It's when they let Josh Allen be the human racer of himself, like like his best plays. Often one or two of them will erase two or three of his worst plays. And we saw that tonight. It was It was the perfect example of it. Um, and so as the bills have, have really turned their season around, it's been around letting Josh Allen make these mistakes because when he's making them, he's also at sort of twice the clip making big plays, making elite plays, making like the Josh Allen plays that makes everybody else want a Josh Allen. So, um, I I don't know. I I don't think we'll see him like (laughs) tone down his risk, risk, uh, aversion or, or risk willingness it's it's going to be the same i think we're going to keep i mean it's gonna be fun for us i think but terrible for bills fans who have to go through like the emotional toils of of dealing with that as the quarterback that's that's the best part look i, I i'm not affiliated with the bills i think i've spent like one day in buffalo my entire life so fortunately i don't have the emotional investment but my god is this team just a fun roller coaster to watch and whether it's it's josh doing josh things it's which skill player is going to feature that week the defense has managed to slap together an impressive second half of the season with duct tape and super glue so that's that's the flip side of this and i guess let's let's look at it from the dolphins perspective kudos to the bills they they get the late interception of tua tongue of iloa they clinch the win held the dolphins to less than 300 yards Plenty for the Bills to be proud of, but on the Dolphins' side of this thing, to let the division slip and to play like this on offense in Miami, 
knowing that you are now going to be a wild card, how how demoralizing is that for a team that thrives off of its offensive firepower? It's brutal. I mean, I, I predicted this. I get to pat myself on the back. You know, I, I forget what day it was, but I predicted basically this exact outcome for Miami and Buffalo, that this was going to be sort of like the final block of their decline of their demise on the season um, by losing to Buffalo in this game. And I look at the performances of the two quarterbacks and you can kind of like see it as symbolic of the season as the whole, right? Like Josh Allen started poorly and was a mess and think about the bill season, right? Like same thing, five and five, six and six. They were looking at that daunting part of their schedule and nobody thought that they could get through it to the playoffs. Dolphins were the opposite, right? Like surging Tua was like putting together a pretty competent, good game. Um, obviously the early interception, but uh, it felt like the Dolphins coming out of the gate in in their season, having a really strong start. Um, and the Dolphins defense in particular played a lot better than, than I thought they could, they could and would. Um, but then we saw that fourth quarter, right? And it's like what we've seen in the fourth quarter of the season where Josh Allen steps up, the Bills step up. And and Tua sort of withers and throws, for example, that that interception, like just the like the worst possible decision. I mean, like it was a really bad call uh, for him to stare down Chase Claypool, for him to throw that ball, uh, for him to underthrow the ball where uh, a cornerback could get it. That was the final play of the game for Tua. Um, and it ended up being, you know, so it feels like it sets the stage for them to go to Kansas city and, you know, zero degree weather, a Miami team against Kansas city and zero degrees in Kansas city. I just don't, I don't like the look of that, uh, not on paper and not, not on film either. No, I, I, I saw the forecast and I, we're, we're a week out, so we'll see, but yeah, I mean, sub sub 20 degrees at the very least it's, it's interesting to think these are two passing offenses that are going to have to try to figure this thing out in, uh, in very suboptimal conditions. I guess we will, we'll save the dolphins chiefs preview for later in the week, but I am curious and, and I'll, I'll be fair to Miami. They, they have a potential playoff game to try to fix this or correct it or what have you, but having this happen at the tail end of this season, it starts to feel like the narrative around this Mike McDaniel era, you know, at some point you can't escape the narrative. You know, I think Mike McDaniel said this week, if you want people to change the way they talk about you, you have to go out and do something about it. They obviously didn't do it. I mean, at what point does, does the narrative become too tough for these guys to escape? Yeah. Well, I remember like Lamar Jackson was viewed as a guy who couldn't win in the postseason. Um, just, two postseasons ago, probably. And he overcame that narrative with a few playoff wins. Uh, experience can really change a situation like this. Like, I don't want the Dolphins to go into this offseason feeling like they need to make big changes. I think they just need to grow their quarterback and their coach so that they're they're just succeeding at a different clip. Like, these are learned skills that, that I think that, that this – team is still sort of young and unfortunately they're built with like their star receiver for example Tyree Kill um starting to get a little bit older uh but I think that they're the kind of team 
even if they go to Kansas City and they lose and it's ugly, which I'm not totally sure it will be because maybe they get Jalen Waddle and Raheem Mostert back next week from injury. And that offense, think about like Cedric Wilson had two drops, like bad ones on third down. If the, if those are catches, if those are Jalen Waddle catches, uh, the, the game might look a little bit different, right? So I think um, maybe the offense changes a little bit. But again, if we see Kansas City win and Miami lose and the narrative continues, which is that Miami simply beats up on bad teams and loses to good ones, they've got a lot of learning to do. They've got a lot of maturation to do over the offseason. And I think McDaniel and Tua, those are the two right guys for that organization. So. I have faith that even though this is definitely not their year, <laughs> that the, that those two are the right guys to keep building around for the future. I think it's a fair point, and and I'm I'm with you. I mean, if Jalen Waddle's available in Kansas City, I'm not writing off Miami. But when you consider how firmly they seem to have control of this thing, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, it's it's a tough pill to swallow. Big night for the Buffalo Bills. We will see how both of these teams do in the wild card round. Henry, I appreciate the time, man. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you having me. No shade whatsoever intended toward the league office. You make the best decision you can with the information you have. But like I said, it it did feel like a little bit of drama was missing from that last game. The Bills knew thanks to some results earlier in the day, that they'd be in the playoffs regardless. So not quite a loser leaves town match in Miami. The Bills aren't going to complain. As we've already said, two seed home against the Pittsburgh Steelers after the Steelers beat Baltimore on Saturday afternoon. One of the big pieces of the AFC puzzle, because really this thing was a lot easier to put together than the NFC. The Kansas City Chiefs, they knew all the way ahead of time that they were locked into the three seed. Nothing they could do. They do wind up beating the Chargers in a game that I assume nobody outside of the Kansas City area watched. And now they get the Dolphins, like we said. The Cleveland Browns also were locked into the five seed. Didn't play anybody of consequence. They lose big to the Bengals in a game that didn't remotely matter. So the real crux of this whole thing after Bill's Dolphins comes down to the AFC South. And very predictably, it got wacky, y'all. It got really wacky. Started Saturday night. C.J. Stroud and the Houston Texans clinched a playoff spot in a really fun game. C.J. Stroud makes four throws per week that maybe Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes can make, and, and that's really about it. Just such a fun player. So pumped for Houston that they get the wild card spot. But wait, 12 hours after the win over the Colts, the Texans wild card spot becomes a division championship as the Tennessee Titans sent the Jacksonville Jaguars crashing out of the playoffs in Nashville. That was the game that opened the door for the bills. That was the game that let Buffalo into the playoffs. Regardless, it's also the game that yours truly predicted just felt very, very AFC South for Mike Vrabel to decide. No Jaguars, you're done for the year. Very, predictably unpredictable as the AFC South so often winds up being, but it was the division with the most going on in week 18. It's the division we wanted to take a closer look at. That's why we're joined now by my guy, Fox sports, AFC South writer, Ben Arthur. 
been with us all through the season ever since this became the most surprisingly competitive division in the league. And he's here now to help us break down a wild final weekend. All right, Ben, I want to start this off by taking you back in time because it feels fitting a year ago right now, the Houston Texans couldn't even lose properly. You know, they, (laughs) they win that game at the, at the buzzer final week of the season, Looked like they ruined their own chances at drafting the best quarterback available. They have to quote unquote settle for CJ Stroud at number two in the draft. And here we are, Houston Texans, AFC South champions. They get some help from the Tennessee Titans, but they're hosting a playoff game as, as somebody who covers this division, who's covered it for a while. I mean, what, what is your, your first takeaway, just your off the rip impression of this turnaround in Houston? Yeah. First impression is just, wow. Right. Like I think I'm not alone in this. I think you would probably maybe put yourself in this camp, Dave, and a lot of other NFL fans out there uh, would be, be in our camp too, just in that, like no one could have imagined that the Texans would be in this situation, right? Obviously, the hope is they they get their right guy as a coach and and get get the get a good quarterback but even with those two things uh people expected maybe 2 3 years down the road for them to truly be competitive to to be a, a contender um like i saw a lot of preseason uh like win total projections of around like i want to say like 6 six wins, five, six wins, some seven, some people said seven wins. Um, so for, for them to be where they are now, uh, 10 wins, AFC South champions uh, with the Jaguars uh, losing uh, to the Titans, it's just been such an incredible turnaround. And and the Texans really nailed it, right? They, they nailed it with D'Amico Ryan and they nailed it with uh, CJ Stroud. Uh, he's, he's just been... Uh, a great fit uh, for for what they're trying to do and and just kind of how he's brought life uh, to that city to to that franchise to the team what he's able to do in the passing game the the poise the savvy he has he he plays well beyond uh, his years and uh, he he's the the main reason why the Texans are where they are D'Amico Ryan's has done a great job but you don't. The Texans aren't in this position without a quarterback of C.J. Stroud's caliber. I mean, there have been so many times this season where he's put them on his back. If if they have issues on the defensive side of the ball or injuries or he hasn't had his full offensive line or uh, the run game is ineffective, like it doesn't really matter what it's been. Uh, he, he's been able to uh, lead the team. And, and I think that this Saturday night win against the Colts was another example of of the Colts having, I mean, the, the Texans having all kinds of issues. They were without three of their top five receivers. The Tank Dell, of course, is out for the season. They were without Robert Woods. They're without Noah Brown. Uh, they were shorthanded defensively. Will Anderson was on a snap count. Their top sack, their top sack guy, Jonathan Grenard, didn't even play. And, and they were still able to win. And uh, and it's because of C.J. Stroud. I'm glad you. I mean, of course, I think even all credit to D'Amico Ryans, but the conversation has to begin and end with CJ. And I can't help but think of this. Look, I mean, the Texans are going to host the Cleveland Browns in the wild card round. We'll, we'll get to that matchup later in the week. Anything can happen in the playoffs, but I can't help but think about the fact that in the NFL, the biggest cheat code to being a contender 
is having an amazing quarterback on a rookie contract. And now, you know, uh, even with the, even with the trade for, for the pick that got Will Anderson, the Texans still have a first round pick from Cleveland because of the Deshaun Watson trade. So they still have a first round pick. They're going to have a boatload of cap space. I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, but how bright does the future look here for the Houston Texans over the next three to five years? Yeah, Dave, I, I was thinking about that too. I mean, their their future is so bright that they could be like that team, that, that like that powerhouse in, in the AFC South. I mean, the Colts, I, I do think that they'll be up, up there, of course. Like I think Anthony Richardson, before he got hurt, showed a lot of stuff. And I think coming into year two, when we, we know the jobs Shane Steichen has done in Indy, as well, and they could get really good very quickly as well. Um, the, the Jags, you're just not so sure about them right now with, with the way they collapsed at, at the end of uh, this uh, 2023 season, and the Titans are much further behind. But but then you have the Texans, right? They're the, the AFC South champion, and then you know having Stroud, the rookie contract, as you said, the draft picks, all the cap space, and C.J. Stroud should only get better, right? Like as he kind of gets more versed in the NFL game and gets even more used to uh, just the coverages uh, that teams throw at him and in working, continuing to work on that rapport uh, with those pass catchers and getting Tank Dell back. And, and man, yeah, the future in Houston is extremely bright. And, and, uh, and for the Texans, I mean, that they've been through a lot, right, Dave? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the whole yeah the Deshaun Watson mess uh and like the whole fall from grace and and his eventual trade and, and then the front office issues they've had uh so for for them to be in this situation now I, I mean of all the teams in the division that I would say they have the brightest future so um I would say brighter days are, are definitely coming uh, for the Texans. Well, n- n- I mean, th- they have good days right now, right? No, no, in, in no. You're you're of, totally like, right. Like in, the present yeah, is bright. The present yeah. is bright, but I think you're 100% right. I think the future looks even brighter. All right, really really quickly, let's let's give some credence to the other side of this, which you were in Nashville for the Jaguars loss that knocked them out of the playoffs from 8 and 3 to nine and eight. Look, I mean, I, I don't think you need to call for anybody's job. I don't think the Jags are going to replace Trevor Lawrence. Like we don't have to get silly here, but this is clearly a major disappointment for, for a team that was supposed to build on last year's success. Yeah. And Dave, this is a team that never, the same, I think Dave, I think Doug Peterson put it perfectly in the post game. Like he, he said, this game was a nutshell of our season in that it was the same issues that they've had the entire year uh, that manifested, manifested itself. And we've talked about this on previous episodes of the pod, Dave, like just in, whether it's the turnovers or the penalties, uh, just like the brain farts or uh, Trevor Lawrence's interceptions or or bad decisions or short uh, like uh, you know short yardage situations uh, like defensive issues if they're not getting takeaways uh, just poor tackling I mean all these things showed up in in different forms or or fat or, or fashions in this uh, kind of this week eighteen game and so. Um, yeah, they, they, they have a, a, a lot of work to do that they weren't able, of course, to capitalize off of the, the momentum 
from last season and and the disappointing part like like they had all the same guys right that they basically returned like 20 starters uh from last season um and, and then you think of year two with doug peterson and you expect it continued growth from trevor lawrence plus Calvin Ridley in the mix too. And, and they, they were just never able to find that spark. And, and Josh Allen said it, I think he said it really well in the locker room too. Like they had like this spark last season and, and this entire year uh, they, they, they were, they were looking for that spark and, and it, and it never came. Um, and I'm kind of paraphrasing what he said, uh, but that's kind of, that kind of what, that's kind of what happened. And, and now they enter the off season with, kind of a lot of questions, right? I, I mean, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence is obviously their their quarterback, but I think coming out of last season, we all expected him to like get that record setting deal, like that new uh, benchmark in terms of quarterback contracts as he kind of played himself out of a contract of that caliber. And then you think of the, the personnel moves that need to be that need to happen. And, and then I think on the offensive side of the ball, I think it's the biggest disappointment, not just Trevor Lawrence's play, uh, but just uh, across the board, whether it's uh, third down or, or red zone production, uh, just never being able to pr- produce to, to meet the expectations that came with a, a super talented offense. Like they they have one of the best collections of, of skill talent in the NFL, when when you talk about Trevor Lawrence and Ridley and Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne, Zay Jones, and, and I know some of those guys miss some time here and there, but for for the product to be what it was, um, yeah, it's a, a lot of a lot of shaking of of the heads in 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 Jacksonville right now, and. Um, so, so it's going to be a really interesting offseason for them. I think it would be interesting enough in its own right with how disappointing the finish was. And you, Trevor is officially eligible for a contract extension. So that's going to be interesting. And oh, by the way, the newest young superstar in the league, CJ Stroud, is now in your division. So that's another thing to be frustrated about if you're a Jaguars fan. We'll see how the offseason goes for them. And we will see officially how the playoffs go for the division champ Texans. Ben, I bet you will be checking in with you about that. I appreciate the time, man. No problem, Dave. Thanks for having me. Moving along with our Sunday six, we're going to hop into our weekly edition of Ask Glazer. It feels like a good spot for it this week with all of the news that's happening, that's about to happen with the NFL's coaching carousel. Who better to talk to than our own Jay Glazer, Fox Sports NFL insider. Had a wonderful chat with Jay this week, talked about the likely end of an era, big, big news in New England with Bill Belichick, potentially likely having coached his final game for the Patriots, not to mention one of the biggest names in this year's hiring cycle. That would be Michigan head coach, Jim Harbaugh, former San Francisco 49ers head coach, who just may be poised to return to the NFL after Michigan's appearance in the national championship game tonight. We'll see how it goes. Had a chance to talk to Jay about that, as well as a bunch of other stuff. Really fun conversation. All right. One last time in the regular season. Time for nothing else but Ask Glazer with our guy, Jay Glazer. And Jay, not a not a fun time, but I have to imagine this is one of the busiest weeks of your entire year. Yeah, by far. It's kind of like draft week for me because you're not just calling around to find out what coaches are going to let get let go, but also which candidates are going to be hot, which ones, uh, even the candidates that are hot, 
Um, a lot of those guys, I'll try and help them out just to make sure they know how to like put a staff together and how much you know they could they like how involved they should get with that and putting that staff together when they go into prospective uh, you know job interviews. So it's it's crazy. I and then everybody's kind of calling also like. I got, you know, friends in this league who are, let's say, D-line coaches are just going, man, I think we're going to let go. Can you make sure if any of your guys get a job, you can help me get a line coach somewhere else and things like that. You've got an unlimited texting plan, right? It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's let's start with, I, I mean, I think this is, as far as staff changes go, it's, it's the biggest one right. in the NFL this year. You touched on it on Sunday mornings that Bill Belichick's tenure in New England likely over. Right. They lose to the Jets on Sunday. Doesn't do a whole lot to really reverse the vibes there in New England, if I had to guess. I mean, we'll we'll see what the timeline is here, right. but I mean, where do, you, where do you see this going for Bill? Because it, yeah. it's hard for me to believe he's just not going to coach. I don't know. I don't know what Bill's going to do. I haven't asked him. I only go on facts. I'm, you know, look, you look at the Patriots and you say, okay, if, they're, if they weren't going to make a move with Bill, wouldn't they have come out by now and said, hey, stop with all this conjecture. He's back. He's our guy. Let's just stop it. Just like the Jets did a couple of weeks ago for Robert Sala. You know, you, you've had these teams do that. Um, and that hasn't happened at all. So I think, look, a conversation is going to happen between the Crafts and Bill sometime in the next 24, 48, 72 hours. And, you know, if they just decide to you know, mutually part ways or fire him, that'll happen quickly. If they try and get a trade, that's going to take a long time. Also, I think it's difficult because Sean Payton last year, I think they gave up a one and a three or something like that. So I'm sure they're going to want more for Bill Belichick and for Sean Payton, sure, right? Yeah. So I think that would really muddy the waters and slow things down. So if they just want a clean break, they should just clean break it now and just just move on. If, but I don't, I don't know where he goes from here. If if you don't have an answer, I totally understand it, but I can't help but think about, you know, when we were talking about Mike Tomlin a few weeks ago, yeah. you mentioned the whole league would want him, and it I get would. that. You, what do you think? I mean, do you think a similar... No, no, not Mike, not Mike. But do you think there would be a similar amount of demand for Bill Belichick no. if he were available? No, I don't. No. no, not at all. No, Bill's coaching style is way different than Mike Tomlin's coaching style. So I don't think there would. And that's why I said, like, if this was seven, eight years ago, yeah, everybody would be jumping all over. For it. But it's just, you know, things have changed. Um, coaching coaching styles would kind of, you know, really works throughout this league, I think, has changed. And, I, you know, it's just, I, I think the way coaching has is, is changed is, look, you know, you see – culture guys like D'Amico Ryans and Dan Campbell, right? And Mike McDaniel and, and Sean McVay's. And that's where it's really working where you know, you, get, you can't beat people down anymore. Like you used to the Patriot way thing of beating guys down. And right. you know, that, that, um, that doesn't work anymore. And I think a lot of it is these players get so beat down every day on their phones, on social media. The last thing they need is their father figure, their uncle figure in there who, who they need some loving from doing the same thing at work. So just those times have changed. And I remember, you know, coaching uh, about four or five years, about four years ago, I was coaching a fighter and he kept dropping his hands. I kept saying, dude, man, stop dropping your hands. Stop dropping your hands. You're going to get knocked out. And Randy Couture said to me, hey, you can't, you can't say that anymore. I said, what are you talking about? And that's who I coach with is Randy Couture is one of the greatest ever. And he said, don't tell them what you don't want anymore. Because when you tell them what you don't want, they, they think you're just getting down on them. Only tell them what you want. So instead of telling him not to drop his hands, only tell him, keep your hands up so you don't get knocked out. And he said, you've got to change how you communicate to these guys now. And it, it really opened my eyes up. But it's the same thing I look in, in the league now. Like, man, these authentic guys who know how to kind of coach from the inside out, but help build these guys from the inside out. Um, there's a couple of players I was talking about this past week that are you know, first round picks that have just been beat down. And I'm like, tell them, hey, you can't, there are coaches like, you can't do that anymore to these guys. You can't do it anymore. 
be interesting to see if Bill would be willing to adapt to that for some, it seems like it would be a tough thing for him to do. Yeah. He is who he is. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, but, the, you know, there's also a lot that goes in that Patriot style. There's a lot of, you know, keep things a secret and, you know, there's, there's all this paranoia that goes with it and whatnot. So that's why I think, you know, a lot of places may say we don't want, we don't want that in our building. Let's talk about, you mentioned him, a guy who is part of that new school. That would be D'Amico Ryan's yes. Houston Texans are officially, they didn't just make the playoffs. They are now division champs with yeah. the Jacksonville Jaguars oh, losing. Does that, I mean, does that in your mind lock D'Amico up as coach of the year? I don't know if it locks him up as coach. It certainly puts him in the in the category. But I keep saying, like, look, no one's ever mentioning John Harbaugh. And I don't get why. Like, he never gets mentioned because it's always like, oh, yeah, they're, they're just winning again. But right. they're King Kong. You know, the, the Ravens are the best team in the league. And he has new coordinators. And, you know, what John has done is done a phenomenal job. But, yeah, you have to look at what Kevin Stefanski's done. But D'Amico Ryan's for an organization that's been so lost for so long, now for them to have an identity and a leader of men. Where, hey, and here's where D'Amico's special. A lot of players come into coaching and they still think, they still try and act like players. D'Amico early on, like immediately knew, nope, got to start acting like a coach now. Start carrying myself, communicating differently. And he did. And he was like, when he was up there with San Francisco, even as a position coach, they would look and say, okay, we're going to draft some guys that maybe we normally wouldn't bring here because they could have some some character concerns, but D'Amico will have them, so we'll be, we'll be good. So he's D'Amico will be a great coach for a long time. I, you know, uh, he certainly had the best turnaround of anybody. Yeah, that's it's a it's a crowded field. I get it, but when I, when I think about what I thought of the Texans, even after the draft, yeah. uh, to where they are today, it's wild. Yeah, I mean, it's, do you go look? There's two lines of thinking. Do you go with the team with the best record? Or, or you go with the team with the biggest turnaround. It's the biggest turnaround that goes to D'Amico. I do think there's there's something to be record. said. There's something to be said for the coaches of powerhouses not necessarily getting their they due. They don't get their yeah. They yeah. don't get their due. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Which okay, we'll see if John Harbaugh has a shot at coach of the year. I I'm with you. I think he also, has. Also, this case. is probably Sean McVay's best coaching job he's ever done. McVay right. and Stefanski, yeah, Stefanski, yeah. D'Amico. I know the Ravens. Daniel, yeah. the Ravens beat him, but I would I'd throw Kyle Shanahan in there too for Absolutely. for yeah. the season that they've had. Okay. Taking it back to Harbaugh, he's going to be in Houston watching his yep. brother coach right. for a national championship tonight. What do you see as the situation with Jim Harbaugh? Regardless, I mean, yeah, I think I personally, and this John has not told me this. You know, I, I talked to John about him going down there to see Jim. It's pretty funny too because he's taking a plane down with him, his wife. Uh, Mike McDaniel and his wife, Ozzie Newsom and his wife, and Eric DaCosta and his wife. Uh, and, um, you know, their GM down there. And, oh, it was, no, um, well, their GM. Eric DaCosta. Yeah, um, and his wife. And then, um, and I, I said, oh, it's cool, man. So you can you can get to your folks. He goes, I don't know. I, I hope I am. Jim didn't know, like, if we were sitting together. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, Jim got us the tickets. Huh? And he's like, you know, Jim, I, he doesn't know. He's like, <laughs> I think he only got, like, two free ones and that to buy the rest. He's like, I hope I'm going to sit by him. But, we'll he, but, but John was so excited, so excited. He said, the moment we realized, he said, literally, the moment we clinched, this first thing I thought about was, oh, my gosh, it's, it's going to work out where if Jim wins, I get to go see him play. That'll be so amazing. He was so proud of him. Now, do I think his brother coaches in the same league as him next year? I do. I do. I think this is the year. 
um, especially all the stuff that's gone on, you know, that everything else, the scandals with Michigan. I think this is the year that Jim Harbaugh steps in. And I, I, I would think if you have to put him somewhere, the charges probably make the most sense. Is that because the relationship with, um, with well, the Spanish family him, or? And you have him and just him and Justin Herbert. <laughs> having Herbert, yeah. Together, yeah. Having a good quarterback right. probably makes yeah. the job more appealing. All right, let's talk about, which we talk about the Coach of the Year award. Kevin Stefanski, also right. a, cont- uh, a contender for that. How do you view the Browns? Obviously, uh, not a game that I think they were trying overly hard to win against no. Cincinnati. Uh, how do you view them heading into the playoffs? Just- you know, the, the Browns always had a culture problem. Now, Kevin Stefanski's won twice. One time when nobody was allowed in the locker room that besides football, right? And so now they're, they're winning it, it with just... I think other people in the building are starting to see this culture that Kevin is building. And I, you know, he's, I think he's a heck of a coach. Um, yeah, obviously people lead him, uh, follow him in there. You know, the quarterback situation is going to be interesting because I don't know if there's a disconnect there or what, or, you know, and, and they're, they're tied to him. So that'll That's, be interesting. I know the answer to that, but somebody wanted me to ask you, I mean, they, they can't trade. They're tied to him. It's, it's all guaranteed. Yeah. Full of guaranteed contract. Nobody's going to trade for that. The whole thing's guaranteed. Nobody will trade for it. You think? And they can't cut him, so he's he's there. He's there. He's there. I, That's why you don't do fully guaranteed guaranteed is, contracts. Some a, a lesson to be learned yeah. for sure. All right, let's wrap it up with a question from Colin Antonio Pierce, wrapping up his yeah. season. The Raiders were in a similar situation with Rich Bisacci a couple years ago. Do you think this time they just take the interim tag off? Well, Rich did a great job, and I think AP has even done, you know, probably done a little even. I think he's done a better job, but uh, Rich had him good too. I shouldn't take anything away from Rich. Rich had him really going well, but look, Antonio has all the players, right? He, he's brought in, he's actually used Tom Coughlin to help him and Marvin Lewis to help him. Uh, and when he was a player, he was straight I'll tell you down to Smartest dude he's ever been around in his life. And to be able to get these guys to change, I mean, they, he changed everything in there. Change the way they attack the game. Does he deserve a shot? Absolutely. Um, are they still going to interview outside candidates? Absolutely, they have to. But in the end, um, you know, I think if you can put together his own good staff, um, you know, I know, I know the players would be happy if they went that route. Yeah, I just the the energy with yep. that team over the last seven eight weeks. I think that's something to watch. He is the busiest man in football. Still, also the sharpest dressed man in football. So I'm talking about despite they- that. Find you a reporter who can do both. Jay Glazer, we appreciate the time. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Talking to Jay Glazer earlier about the coaching carousel got me thinking about one coach in particular. It's the biggest name in this year's coaching cycle. It's beyond obvious. That would be Bill Belichick, who, look, I mean, maybe this information will be dated by the time you listen to it, but when arguably the greatest head coach in NFL history is coming to what looks like the end of his tenure with the team that he helped win six Super Bowls, I think it deserves to have a little more time spent on it. So that's going to be the focus of today's coaching spotlight. It's brought to you by Verizon, the official private wireless network of the NFL's coach-to-coach communication. And look, this was about as miserable a finish as you could expect from the New England Patriots. I said it heading into the weekend. This felt like a chance for uh, maybe not a perfect ending, but an uplifting ending. ending. Bill Belichick rides off into the New England sunset with a win against a Jets team that he's terrorized for so long, not even close. Patriots muster 119 yards of offense. They lose 17-3, to looking about as bad as they ever have on a snowy day at Foxborough. My guys, Chris Myers and Robert Smith, were there. 
And it got them thinking about what the end might look like for Bill Belichick. If it is the end for Bill Belichick, as anticipated in New England, it's been a great run. Kind of an awkward ending, but that's maybe the way he or the Patriots wanted it. But but certainly when you talk about his accomplishments, we were witnessing greatness for decades, and uh, he's one of the greatest coaches, not just NFL football of all time, but in any sport. Yeah, and his first season coaching for the Patriots was my last season in the league, so it was a long time ago. And the thing that really stands out to me, you know, when you talk about the differences, say, between a Don Shula and a George Hallis and the number of wins throughout a career is the difficulty of winning in the salary cap free agency era most importantly because in free agency your good players can go to other teams and with the salary cap you can only keep so many of your good players but the thing that's always stood out to me from a player perspective I never played for him but for all the people that I know that played for Bill Belichick they talk about the attention to detail and an almost fanatical obsession with scouting yourself scouting your opponent And always finding that little piece of information that's going to be the difference in a football game. And the more you learn about the game, the more that you understand that it's those little details that make the difference when it matters most in situations that sometimes can end in games like this where you have turnovers, where you have things not going your way, but you fall back on your coaching, on that playing in that level of detail and for the most part it ends up in victories yeah this one ended in a loss to the jets however six super bowl titles that's what people will think of first and what's next for bill belichick we'll all be watching that closely this is the way it ends for so many legends in the nfl i don't expect too many people to feel sorry for bill belichick especially if they're not patriots fans this is the man the franchise that terrorized the NFL, the AFC, for the better part of 20 years, won six Super Bowls, played in plenty more, involved in their fair share of controversies. Anytime you're involved with multiple things that end in gate, I don't think people are going to be too sorry to to see your downfall. So like I said, I, I don't expect too many people to feel sorry for Bill Belichick. But at the same time, what I don't, want to see is people reducing Bill Belichick to some kind of punchline. It's easy to do with all of the bad will that's built up over the years. I get it. But at the same time, the ending for Bill Belichick, if we can assume that that's what this is, does not diminish the accomplishments. Not when you consider, like Robert Smith just said, how hard it is to sustain success. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves whether that's going 266 and 121 in New England, whether that's winning 302 regular season games when you include all of his tenures, third most in league history. That's why I imagine he'll be back somewhere at some point because he's got a pretty solid shot to finish above Don Shula as the winningest head coach in NFL history. Six Super Bowls is more than anybody else. Eight Super Bowl wins when you consider that he was the defensive coordinator of the legendary Giants defenses with Lawrence Taylor, three-time AP Coach of the Year, NFL Coach of the Year, 19 straight seasons with a non-losing record, 31 playoff wins. It goes on and on. It's to the point where your eyes glaze over because of how long it takes to list all of this stuff off. And another thing that 
I in particular feel passionately about having had all of these years to digest the Brady Belichick era. It's fine with me if looking at what the Patriots have become without Brady and what Brady did in Tampa Bay, it's fine with me if you want to assign the majority of the credit to Tom Brady. He's the most accomplished quarterback to ever play the sport of football. But where I balk is that the idea that these Patriots struggles over the last few years diminish Belichick's contributions to that dynasty to the point where they don't even matter at all. And that, that, like I said, that's, that's where I feel like I have to step in and say something when you consider the number of times the Patriots have reinvented themselves, whether that's as a defensive first dominant unit, the first time they were, they went on a run. Remember this was the team that held the greatest show on turf, the early 2000s St. Louis Rams to 17 points in a Super Bowl, whether he reinvented that into a team that dominated with multiple tight end packages and the rise of Rob Gronkowski, whether the way they did it again in the mid 2000s, even with a great quarterback, it's very, very hard to reinvent yourself multiple times over the course of 20 years. You can't do that without coaching. It's not to say Tom Brady's not a huge, huge part of it, but it's also to say Bill Belichick wasn't just a bystander to all of this. My favorite stat, Tom Brady won 30 playoff games as a New England Patriot. Five of them, including two of the Patriots' Super Bowl wins, came in games where the offense scored 20 or fewer points. Again, beat the Rams 20-17 to to kick this whole thing off all the way back when I was in the seventh grade. They beat the L.A. Rams, same team, almost 20 years later, holding that high-flying offense to a field goal in a Super Bowl, in an era where offense has dominated at every turn, they won a Super Bowl 13-3. to That's impressive. That's all I'm trying to say is as Bill Belichick moves into whatever the next step is, as he, I assume, changes teams or shoot, maybe even if he wants to take some time off, He's not without criticism and, and the, the depths to the Patriot that the Patriots have sunk to clearly pretty low. If a guy that's won that much is moving on At the same time, he's a huge, huge part of a run that I don't think we'll ever see again. And a run that even with a hall of fame quarterback, it boggles the mind that they were able to sustain it with so many coaching changes, with so many roster changes, with so many different breaks, over multiple decades across all the years. That's all I'm trying to say. And I hope people remember that as this era winds to a very forgettable close. It doesn't make any of Bill Belichick's contributions less impactful, less meaningful. And I'll get off my soapbox now. Let's wrap up the Sunday six for the regular season with some bonus content. No, literally some contract bonus content. I said heading into the weekend that this was a fun week on the schedule because teams are going to do some stuff to try to get some guys paid. And you know what? Even though I mentioned it, it delivered even on my highest expectations, a really fun couple of days of guys hitting some big time bonuses that are sure to come in handy as they move into the playoffs, as they move into the off season, wherever they're at, it's nice to have a little extra scratch in your pocket. So we're just going to go through some of our favorites from the weekend, guys who hit big incentives in their deals, and maybe none better than Tampa Bay quarterback Baker Mayfield. The Buccaneers, not a pretty win, 
Nine to nothing against Carolina. I don't advise you to rewatch much of the highlights, but Baker Mayfield signed in Tampa for $4 million. And by making the playoffs while playing 85% of the snaps for Tampa, which he easily did, he doubles his salary, a $2 million bonus. Good on you, Baker. Hell of a bounce back season when a lot of people wrote you off. Really, really cool. Keeping it with quarterbacks. Unfortunately, Gardner Minshew did not make the playoffs. Based on the way that fourth down went on Saturday night, I have a feeling that's going to bother him for a while. But you know what will make you feel better? A $2 million bonus for playing 60% of the snaps. He signed as the backup. The Colts drafted Anthony Richardson. Looked like he might do spot duty at best. He winds up starting the vast majority of the season. Like I said, maybe doesn't completely wipe away the sting of losing to the Texans, but $2 million will go a long way elsewhere in the AFC South. This one got talked about a lot. DeAndre Hopkins, Tennessee wide receiver, had a lot of money on the line. He could have earned up to $1.5 million by hitting various incentives. Didn't get them all, but he needed seven receptions on Sunday against the Jaguars to get to 75. And wouldn't you know, he did it. $500,000 on top of sending your division rival home for the year. Not a bad day in the old checkbook for DeAndre Hopkins. Elsewhere in a game that I don't know how many people saw, Joe Mixon's going to remember it, though. He was sitting at 10 total touchdowns on the season in the Bengals game against the Cleveland Browns. He needed two to make $100,000. And wouldn't you just know, whether coincidence or not, he managed to score two touchdowns, one rushing, one receiving. Bengals make easy work of the Cleveland Browns to get to a winning record, by the way. AFC North in 2023. It's the first time in NFL history that all four teams finish the season above 500. And Joe Mixon finishes the season with an extra 100K in his bank account. I love it. Up in Green Bay, Jordan Love. Oh my God. The, the biggest winner in this whole story. We can't even keep track of everything that was written into Jordan Love's contract. Obviously, the Packers reached a small extension with him to take some of the pressure off heading into his first season as the starter. They gave him a lot of chances to make money with incentives and Holy crap. Did Jordan love ever do that? I can't walk you through all of it because it was it's contingent on a certain number of snaps. It's contingent on making the playoffs contingent on finishing in the top 15 and passer rating and completion percentage. What you need to know is that Jordan Love's base salary heading into this season was a million dollars. And over the course of this year, capping it off with the playoff appearances, he made about four and a half million extra dollars. And you know what? The way this guy played for Green Bay, I have a feeling that's just a drop in the bucket for what is coming when he eventually gets a real deal extension. Just going to call my shot that that's happening sometime in 2024. You saw this on Saturday afternoon, a very forgettable game in Baltimore, miserable weather conditions. I doubt Jadeveon Clowney was miserable, needed half a sack to reach nine. He got a $750,000 bonus if he got it. If you saw the celebration, you're well aware that he did, but he was one-upped because he wasn't the only guy with a big sack incentive. Kansas City Chiefs defensive tackle Chris Jones had a $1.25 million 
$1.25 million. I got to say it twice because it's a lot of money for reaching 10 sacks on the season. He needed a half a sack against the Chargers. And guess what? He got it. And please just go ahead and roll the celebration here. Whole team mobbing the guy. Chris came out afterward and said he's buying everybody Rolexes for the achievement. Obviously, he held out at the start of the season. Won some of it back by hitting this incentive, Chris. Good on you, buddy. Amazing. I Like I said, I love this week on the schedule. Fun one for the New York Giants. Darius Slayton had a $750,000 bonus in his contract for being active for every game. So he caps off the season. He's clearly active because he had a big day against the Eagles in the Giants' 27-10 win. So comes out to roughly $45,000 per week. But Darius Slayton, active all season, just for that fact alone, makes three-quarters of a million dollars. Not bad. And this last one, not a contract incentive, but just I call it being a good teammate. Jamal Williams led the league in rushing touchdowns for the Detroit Lions last year. Remember, had a huge day to beat Green Bay this week last year. Signs with the Saints in the offseason. Hadn't scored a touchdown all year. Like I said, there's no financial incentive, but Jameis Williams, uh, Jameis Winston, excuse me, and the New Orleans Saints took matters into their own hand. Saints called for a victory formation at the end of the 48-17 win against the Atlanta Falcons. Jameis said, no, it's a team decision. We're going to get Jamal into the end zone. And they did exactly that. Arthur Smith didn't take kindly to it. Saints head coach Dennis Allen said after the fact he didn't blame him. For my part, I kind of love it. Get your guy into the end zone. It's your last opportunity until next September. But the real thing that makes this a trivia question answer years from now, it was the last moment of the Arthur Smith era in Atlanta. Like we said earlier, Arthur Smith finding out Sunday night he is out as Falcons head coach. So I just have a feeling this will be a memorable piece of the Saints-Falcons rivalry moving forward, though neither team making the postseason here this year. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Loaded show. That does it. It's the playoffs. Up next, we'll be previewing all six matchups. We've talked about them already. We'll be previewing them this week. We'll be getting into the ins and outs, the storylines, who's up, who's down. You know the drill. I can't wait. I mean, part of me is already sad that the regular season is over. But when you have postseason matchups like this to look forward to, how can you not be excited? We'll be here to take you through everything Wild Card Weekend. Please go find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Like I said, subscribe to the YouTube channel. You know the drill. It's playoffs, y'all. I'll catch y'all next time.